welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Hey adventurers, welcome to episode 87 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. This is just Patrick. Hey, King Scott here. And today's episode is full as always. So full, in fact, Scott, we're bumping our discussion topic to next episode. We wanted to do a little chat about can a game be overexpanded? We're getting there. I promise there's just too much going on. Today, we're going to talk about some recent adventures, including Aventuria, Wingspan, and more. We have a massive update in the top 100. We're going to have two games enter, one game leaves. And of course, our feature review is going to be Obsession again. (laughs) Scott, I've been playing the hell out of this. This thing on BGA. I'm how about this? I didn't know that they did this. I am ranked on Board Game Arena now. Well, well, well. Yes, very in, nicely done. <laughs> thank you. I'm in the uh I'm in the top 50 players, which I don't know how the ranking goes or if that even means anything. I, I think more than anything, it means that you've just played a lot. Um but, yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what? that game, I'm telling you what, man, I feel like I got it. I feel like I understand drawing them prestige guests wins games. Yes, yes, very much so there. Uh, That one is, and the other thing that's very important is when you want to pass. That is such an important timing aspect. Mm -hmm. Scott, last episode, I, uh, (laughs) as I always do, I turn on the episode in the morning to uh, give a quick listen, make sure nothing was missing and everything was sounding Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, didn't put an intro. Didn't have the intro. Dun, 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 dun. None of that. It just starts (laughs) with like, hey. (laughs) <laughs> but hey, it's oh, nice to get that sometimes because then people listen to it and then it's like, wait, maybe this is an important episode. We should listen even closer. Gosh, shows we're human. We we make yes, mistakes. Yes, 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 yes. Well, you're human. Yes, it's you're a king. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have powers bestowed upon you by God. But yes, we do have a lot to talk about. And I see in our notes here that there is one here that's really standing out, because I know this one, you've been playing a lot whenever we've had meetups and all sorts of things here. Something's happening with Did me on the side. Did you just say sun. here five times in the last sentence? I say here a lot. I know. It's a Southern <laughs> Pennsylvania thing. <laughs> yes, yes. Last meetup, I had the chance to teach some people beyond the sun. I showed uh, Ryan came to SCG in your absence last week. Uh, I got to show him beyond the sun. I've been playing it on BGA. I've been playing with Brian Willem at work. Beyond the sun's got an expansion coming. Leaders of the new dawn. Asymmetric factions, a solo mode, more strategies in there. Frankly, I can't wait to get this thing. I the game is, for me, it is finally ready for a little injection of, of something different. You know, add a little different seasoning to that uh, to that game. I'm ready for it. I'm really excited to see the asymmetric factions. I think that's something that could have been added to the original game, but it's nice to see that they held on to it to put it out now because now everyone has a, an idea how to play the game, mm-hmm. how to work things out. Now it's like you said, it's just adding that special little seasonings here and then, those 11 herbs and spices there just to make <laughs> it even that much better. Now, for what it's worth, the original did have asymmetric factions. You could play with the basic ones, which were like, I 
get to start with an extra ore and you get an extra guy. But they also had the advanced boards, which are slightly more asymmetric, but still kind of disappointing if you're looking for like, oh, wow, this thing can do a totally different strategic thing, you know, go down a totally different path than the other ones. It right, didn't right. have that. So, it, you know, hopefully we don't have much information yet. I'm hoping that it's it's pretty dramatic. That should be very cool. I look forward to it. Scott Stonemeyer announced that they've got a sequel to Scythe. Now, it's not necessarily like Scythe 2.0. It's Expeditions, and it well, it's called Expeditions, and it takes place in the world of Scythe. That could be very, very cool. That's something there that they've built so much into that base game. And that was one of the things that really drew so many people into it was the world they created with that artwork. Mm-hmm. What kind of things are going on? And I I still love those cards whenever you have like those decisions to make. Is your bear going to eat one of their dogs? Is the bear <laughs> going to go to sleep? What are you going to do with it? This should be very cool. I'm really looking forward to it. It's described as a competitive, card-driven, tile exploration, engine-building sequel to Scythe takes place in the same world. This thing's got the the big, it comes with five mechs, right? There's five mechs in this box. Now, they're big. I saw some pictures. It's like, here's one of the original mechs from Scythe. Here's the mech in Expedition. So, like, they're big. Comes with five of them. You can get them in plastic, and your game's going to cost you 70 bucks, or metal. Mm -hmm. Metal version is 100 bucks. $30 difference if you wanted uh, metal instead of plastic. Uh, But I can see that with the size of them and having them all metal. I can definitely see that that would be worth, what is it, uh, an extra six bucks per mech? Yeah, yeah. Oh, very good. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. (laughs) You math good. Also, speaking of Stonemaier, mm-hmm. Tapestry's third expansion has been announced, Fantasies and Futures, oh, okay. designed by Mike Young and Chris Scafaldi, and featuring art by Andrew Bosley. This expansion includes, all right, <clears throat> 10 new civilizations, oh, geez. six advanced capital city maps, Mm-mm-mm. 38 new tapestry cards, 12 new tech cards, and a comprehensive rule book that organizes all the rules for Tapestry and the three expansions all in one place. Let's not let that last bit yes, just kind of fall silently. A, a rule book that encompasses everything in one, so you don't have to. Okay, let me see the uh, let me see the one for plans and ploys. Let me see the one for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, that's, yes. I like the sound of that. And I think one of those things that is such a special thing about Tapestry is. The civilizations, because there are so many of them. I I still get surprised whenever I pull it out and I see the amount of civilization cards that are there. And it's like, holy cow, this is the base game. Mm -hmm. And you've got so many of them. Such tiny little changes to each one of the civilizations makes it so much more special. Really, this one here, I'm anxious to see. Man, I tell you what, they got to be up to something like 50 different civilizations that you can play. They all feel different. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, for what initially was tracks, like advancement tracks, the board game. Yeah. I learned something. Uh, we have a game that I'm going to talk about next episode. And I'll we're going to put a, a multi-episode pin in this. But uh, Tapestry is an example of 
tracks the board game done really, really well. And it's one that I keep coming back to. I haven't done it since uh, we were driving to Buffalo and you and I were playing on BGA. And uh, oh, yes. the tie, the infamous tie game. I don't even remember what the tiebreaker was. <laughs> I think you got me on the tiebreaker. No, I want to say I think it actually came up as just a complete tie. That's unacceptable. Yeah, I your don't sister. think there was anything. So, yeah, oh, okay, <laughs> now you make it creepy. I got another expansion on tap. And this is for the first game that we got given, got gave. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I feel kind of proud about this in a weird way. <laughs> so Doomlings was the first game that we were given to talk about on the show. And they took off. They're on Walmart. They're in Target. And they've got an expansion coming out. Let's take it over to Eric and hear a little bit more. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Scott. It's Eric from Doomlings. I wanted to let your listeners know about a new Doomlings mystery expansion coming out. It's called Overlush, and it's coming to Kickstarter March 14th. Now, you might be asking yourself, what the heck is a mystery expansion? Mystery expansions work like any other expansion. You simply open the box, put it in your game, and you're ready to play. The difference is, you don't know what assortment of cards you're going to get, ensuring no two Doomlings households are the same. Every four-pack mystery box contains 56 new cards plus four new holofoils from the Overlush collection. We're going live on Kickstarter March 14th, 314, which is Pi Day. Uh, And we'll be having uh, another line of plushies also launching that day from the game based on characters we love and a ton of other cool stuff. As always, thank you both for being in our corner, for having us on your show, and for just all the love and support you've shown us along the way. It means a lot. Uh, It's also just great to check in with you guys, and and hopefully we get to hang at the conventions this summer. We will definitely be back at Gen Con and at Comic-Con with a ton of swag, so please come and find us. Finally, uh, just curious to know what your guys' favorite dominant traits are. Uh, Hopefully you aren't too attached to them, because there's a bunch more coming March 14th. Okay, that's my plug. Take care, guys. Thanks again for everything. All right, so our favorite dominant traits... I don't know about you, but there are times that I feel like I just want to watch the world burn. So I got to go with optimistic nihilism. The ability to just move to the next catastrophe, that kind of really gums up other people's games, and eh, it's kind of fun to see what happens then. What's yours, Patrick? Ooh, tricky one. Favorite dominant trait. I'm going to go with heroic. I found it cool whenever they first came out, and I saw it in Target. I'm like, mm-hmm. Holy crap, look at that. That is awesome. I feel like we had something to do with that. But now then that you get an expansion and it's really caught on, I'm so proud of those guys and I'm so happy for them. You know, they have a pretty active Facebook page. Um, Like, you know, you have groups. The Doomlings group is pretty active. People asking rules, showing things off. And those hollow foils. Man, I tell Mm -hmm. you what, somebody actually messaged me. They saw that I had uh, a copy of Doomlings. They're like, hey, what hollow foils do you have? I want to buy them. Huh. So I went to eBay and I started looking up, you know, some of the hollow foils in there. And most of them. Most, I guess they're different rarities, but most of like the rare ones, they sell between like 10 and 50 bucks. Like there's actually wow. a, a, it's small, but there is a secondhand market for their hollow foil cards. I thought that was really cool. That That is. I mean, you would expect something like that from Magic or something. Mm-hmm. This here, I don't really think of it as being a collectible card game, but well, that's really it's awesome. Not. 
Yeah, well, yeah. It's, it's it's not a CCG. It's just uh, their their hollow foils are at random, and like if somebody wanted to collect them all, uh, yeah. Well, there's only one way to do it, and that's that's hunt mm-hmm. them down. Got to get them all. Oh wait, <laughs> I'm sorry. Trademark infringement. Scott, what's dyesed? Dies. That was something that I picked up uh, as an app whenever Tiny Epic Dungeons came out. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't much there. And this was kind of touted as a way to learn how to play games. Okay. So I never even thought about it left on the phone. I just got in yesterday. I got in my new package from Gamelink Games and I got my Tiny Epic Vikings. And it says right on the rule book, learn how to play through Dies. I'm like, all right, well, I'll go ahead and check it out. So I pulled it up on my phone. I took a look at it, and there's Tiny Epic Vikings. Hmm. I hit it. I pull it open. The thing that is really cool about this is it's not just a video showing you how to play. This is actually a walkthrough of playing the game. You actually go through, hit the uh, forward arrow button whenever you're done reading, whenever you're done getting things set up. Uh, It will ask you, Who is player one? I'm player one. Who's player two? I'm player two. What colors are you playing? All right, here we go. Let's go through the game. And it walks you through each and every step in playing this game. That's cool. It even gives you little tests, like trying to figure out whenever you're figuring out scores for something. Well, you have this and this and this. What's the score? Uh, It's a nine. (laughs) No, actually, it's 12. And here's how you get to it. I was really surprised at how well it was done. Whenever it first came out, I saw a few places talking about it, and then it just kind of disappeared. Mm -hmm. And then I took a look at it again, and looking at it now, almost all the Tiny Epic games are on there. Blood Rage is on there, but there's like 20, 25 games on there right now. It's a great way of looking at games, how to learn it, because sometimes uh, the Gameland Games rulebooks are... A little bit lacking at times. They kind of brush over some important parts, and you kind of have to go to Board Game Geek to find out little... Uh, like the nuance rules, gray exactly. areas. Yeah. But this here was very, very well done. I, I was tickled pink with that. So I'm going to go back and take a look at Tiny Epic Dungeons and go through that one and make sure I have everything down, because I've been kind of chomping at the bit to go back and play that game again now, too. Feels like Dyes is the kind of thing that's going to thrive so long as it gets support. As long as like, yes. if it becomes a thing, you know how for a, for a while they're like, your game was a game if Rodney did your your how mm-hmm. to play video. I feel like if they can get the kind of support, like if it's much cheaper and it's accessible to get your stuff on Dyes rather than like sponsor somebody to yammer on about you know how to play your game. No, don't get me wrong, I like Rodney. I'm not. I'm, that's, oh yeah, yeah. It was yeah, not yeah, a yeah. subtle dig, um, but it, it feels like wow. If that's a way that you can like get it in the pocket, and it's interactive with you. Ooh, that mm-hmm. could that game changer, Scott. Yeah, most definitely. So I'm I'm definitely going to keep an eye on it and see what happens here. Uh, oh, I'm actually looking at my game table right now, and Splendor Duel is on it. Splendor Duel is on Dyes as well. Well, that's a random extra thing to throw in. Well, I was just thinking of extra games that were on Dyes, so. <laughs> Scott, let's turn it to some not as exciting news. Holy Grail Games is shutting mm. down. The folks yes. that uh, did Museum, Encyclopedia, Rally Man. Actually, I messaged Jimmy this, and he's or he messaged me because uh, he sometimes gives me little tip-offs on the news. I was like, oh, they're the guys that did Encyclopedia. He's like, the one that the Cabal just reviewed? And, yep. 
Mm-hmm. It's like, wow. So they had Rallyman Dirt still in the works. Uh, and it's it's one of those cases of, well, they're bankrupt. It's in a warehouse. It's assets of the company. And now, like, it's going to be held hostage. Some people are uh, are pretty upset with this. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a shame to see when those kind of things happen there. It's hard to tell exactly what happened. I mean, you can kind of look at the tea leaves and get some ideas of what happens, but you're never going to actually be inside the room whenever they decide what they have to do is best for the company. Right. right. Uh, it's a it's a shame to see that, and I, I hope everything goes well for them. Their statement basically was along the lines of logistics got insane expensive, uh, too many holdups, you know, what you would expect. Pandemic yeah. happened and, and prices changed and it just didn't work so that uh that is the end of holy grail games yeah that's a shame there and uh yeah i i hope the best for them and i hope that uh the games get picked up by other publishers and we still get a chance to play those great games scott this feels like a good part to segue right into recent adventures games that have been on our tables recently you want to lead off Oh, right. I will do that. Um, and actually, we were busy talking about Stonemar games here, so I decided to play a game of Wingspan. <laughs> I picked it up during Barnes & Noble's... Oh, the half-off sale. Anything? 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 What? I got nothing. The Barnes & Noble's uh, well, 50% no, off? If you were saying it possessive, then the apostrophe S would make sense, and it was their half-off sale, so I was okay with it. That wasn't a, a true pluralization. If you're doing it to... Make it plural. That's not okay. Oh, damn your grammar knowledge. Anyway, <laughs> Wingspan is one of those games that is relaxing. It's one of those games you can take a look at the rules real quick, just kind of like boop, boop, boop. All right, I'm good to go. Let's play. So in Wingspan, you are bird watching. You're looking at the different environments that birds can live in and nest in and have little birds in and all these wonderful things here where you are paying eggs to get new birds out and you activate the birds to get special abilities to go on and help you build out your game, Mm -hmm. Uh, build the engine that you're playing. The thing about this is, yes, whenever it came out, oh my goodness, everyone's going on about how it was winning every award possible. I can understand it winning some awards, but all of them, I do kind of think like eh. some of those. It was it was getting too much love there. Best at the card time. game, best dungeon yeah. crawler. <laughs> but the great thing about Wingspan is that is one of those games that you want to play whenever you just want to kick back and relax because there's not a lot of thought into it. It really is almost like the multiplayer solitaire because you're playing that granted you are trying to get cards before someone else or pick up the resources yeah yeah, that's a thing before someone else but it's just one of those games you can play you can relax you can chat with your friends and it is such a delightful well-built machine of a game it's going to be an evergreen a a, a, an old chestnut on your uh game shelf that should definitely be there uh, so yeah, got a chance to play Wingspan once again. Great to revisit it, and I think that's going to be one of those ones I'm going to revisit time and time again. So to get the chance to play the Asia expansion yet, I have not played any of the expansions yet. None because, of them. No, because I don't know. I enjoy just the base one there. There's Fair so enough. much in that one already. 
Uh, let's hold on to that till next one when we talk about the expansions. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, well, let, let me ask you this then. Do you play on BGA or on the app? I have not. I only play in person with that one there. And even uh, still, I played it with another person and I played it solo one time. Mm-hmm. And I will have to say that Stonemaier Games does such a great job with their solo AI that you play against. Mm-hmm. They are always just a joyful surprise whenever you play it. Little things here that you flip over cards and like, oh, there's a surprise. I wasn't expecting that. You always get surprised with what happens with it. It's not like trying to get the highest point and and do everything. The AI is actually, it feels like it's actively trying to play against you and beat you. I understand that once upon a time, the AI in a board game would be almost like a flow chart. Like, if they're behind, then look at this row. And if this row is occupied, then then go here. Not not for Wingspan, just in board games in general. And uh, I think it was Euphoria, uh, wh- wherever Automa came, that the, the Automa yeah. system. I think it's from Euphoria. Don't know. I'm not certain. Uh, we should have looked this one up, buddy. But um, <laughs> that was the Stonemeyer thing was, you know, instead of trying to consult a chart, we're just going to do like flip a card, do what it says, back to you. Um, where it's emulating what an opponent would do. It might not be in the scope of the rules or what's allowed in that moment, but that is what it's doing. And then you got to respond. I think the joy in that is that it makes it really, really quick to play the other, you know, to play the, the, the AI's turn. Flip the card, put this here, shift that card over, add a couple eggs, done. I love that. Yeah, and it and it's done in such a way that it's not one of those things where you just like flip it over, do one thing, boom, that's it. You actually flip it over. You have to do this, this, and this. Then that gives you a whole new panoramic landscape that you're playing with whenever you're looking at the game. It's like, well, I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. How am I going to go up against that now? So not only is it a great way of playing a game by itself, it also helps you hone your skills in playing the game as well. It's also a game where you can get away with saying the term dick sizzle and no one can question you. It's okay. Oh, I mean, if you only knew how many times I tried to fit dick sizzle into a game, (laughs) into a sentence with people. Oh, it's just not appreciated the way it used to be. All right. Pro tip, Scott, for next time you're playing the Ravens. There's a Chihuahuan Raven and mm-hmm. there is a, I can never remember, the com- Common Raven. I think it's Common Raven and Chihuahuan Raven. They're the discard an egg for two food of your choice. Okay. They're the god tier. They, they are tier one. And the only birds that join them in tier one are the Franklin's Gull and the Killdeer. And those are the birds, the Franklin Gall uh, being better than the Killdeer. Those are the birds that, when they're activated, you can discard an egg to draw to. Oh, Oh, you see one of those in the opening hand, it is hard to lose. (laughs) Very, very, like, I've gone deep in wingspan, and and I've gone as far as, like, reading on websites, like, ranking of birds, uh, played a whole bunch on the mobile app, and uh, the whole, those four, good, good, good (laughs) birds. Great game. Great game that one is, Wingspan. I'm glad to hear you've been uh, been revisiting it a bit. Yes, most definitely. Well, Scott, I got one that's actually back from 2016. This is from Michael Palm and Lucas Zack, uh, published by Ulysses Spiel. Uh, 
apologies for all of the butchering there. So recently, the <laughs> folks that create Aventuria connected with me as they have an upcoming Kickstarter featuring two major expansions. Now, I, I'd never played Aventuria. I hadn't heard of it. And I was like, oh, look at this cool new game. And then I got it and I looked it up and found it. Oh, this is actually an old game. <laughs> um, it only took a moment of looking into it, though, before deciding that it's one that uh, that I wanted to check out. Uh, it turns out this, this core game, as I mentioned, is uh, 2016, flew under the radar for me. And uh, for that reason, it's one of the things that I wanted to highlight today. First things first, this core box uh, comes with four, this. Okay. It's like an adventure card game. Let's lay right. that out first thing. Next, core box comes with four heroes, uh, but they have since 2016, a metric ton of expansions, big and small, and we'll get there. Okay. When you open this box, you're going to find your four hero decks, We each with a hero card, life counters, dice, and a 30-card deck. It's what you might call generic fantasy, dwarves, elves, and whatnot, but it's based right. on, I, I read it's based on an old German RPG called Dark Eyes, so I think they're working with source material and tapping into some nostalgia, like they can't change it to their whim. They the, sure. the generic fantasy is what they have to work with. The artwork, fantastic. Actually, I think a lot of folks would find it unexciting, but it's like old school. It's got that charm, right, right. Uh, like early days of magic for me, like pre-Weatherlight Magic the Gathering. Mm. That's the art feel that I get here. And you got like the linen finish on all the cards. They feel great. Uh, oh, wow. The rules. First, going to instruct you to learn how to play in dual mode to get familiar with the mechanisms of the game. But once you're comfortable with the card play, it's on to what I personally think is the magic that's in this box, the LCG-like story mode of Aventuria, the card game. Before we get into that, let's touch on that dual mode really quick, because I think it's going to make the adventure mode a little bit easier to understand. Scott, I played Magic for like 20 years, man. More, more than that, even. I played just about every format possible. Oh, my. Yeah, yeah. By far the most prominent complaint from anybody, aside from the prices of some cards, uh, but in-game complaint, we'll say, is that when you get mana screwed or mana flooded... Right, you draw the, op mm -hmm. the the opening hand. You see two lands, and uh, you miss your third land drop. Or you keep that five card hand, only to start the game with four more lands in the top five of your deck. Right, it happens. It's part of the game, but it does kind of suck. Let's be honest. Right. I vaguely recall some games coming up with really simple solutions, like no lands. Instead, you just have spells and creatures and whatnot in your deck. When you need a land, you just play one face down, and voila, that that's a mana source. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, this is one of those. Uh, obviously, the oh, use right. of specific lands is going to open up some strategy and, and and a lot of design. So honestly, I don't have any beef with it in Magic, but I can see where the system can be beneficial, just being able to play a card face down and how that does have its own strategic avenues. Am I going to be able to turn those cards face up later? Which ones do I get rid of? Because if I play it as a land, maybe I never get it back, right? That's the system that we have here. You start a game with a five-card hand. Play up to two cards uh, face down per turn, and those are effectively your lands, all the way down to uh, tapping them. And they don't use that term, but tapping them to show that you've used them for the turn. Cards mm -hmm. you're going to play range from one-shot effects to permanents that stay in play. Attacking is really simple, and there's three types of attacks, melee, ranged, and magic. You can do all three on a turn, so long as you have a card in play that offers that type of attack. You simply... Copyright trademarked tap that card and uh, look at you. You're attacking. You're bringing the heat. You are presenting your opponent with noise. Now, <laughs> 
Never resolving attacks, Scott. This is a, it's a skill check system. They use a D20, all right? So they're trying to capture the RPG feel. Um, a card you're attacking with might have an eight on it, and it deals four damage. You just got to roll under an eight, and you've dealt four damage, and it's all through the roll of a D20. As you might expect, there's some defensive cards, too, with their own activations costs, and a D20 skill check system there again. You can tell that the designers of this had some sort of like role-playing system background because they incorporate critical hits and critical misses into the die rolls as well, where one would be the no, critical right. hit, mind you, uh, lets you draw a card, whereas like if you roll the 20, which is actually the bad thing in this one, uh, it forces you to discard. Dual mode, you basically play until someone's at zero life. And, but honest, honestly, like the purpose of the dual mode for me was learn how to play to play the solo slash co-op, the adventure mode, right? Sure, sure. The main difference that you run into is you're going to have a use of hero skills and the introduction of some story. Uh, the core box, for what it's worth, it has three stories to play through, uh, one of which is divided into three acts. So you pick an adventure, you get the cards ready, you're off and running. Story mode has its own checks, uh, like roll the d20, check the result against your character-specific stat. Uh, I don't know, like there's a boulder blocking the doorway. Roll a strength test, and the characters, uh, whoever you pick, might have a, a better strength or worse strength than one of the other characters. Most of the time, these checks are going to somehow impact the encounter, the eventual fight that you're going to get into and, and maybe have a few extra life, that sort of thing, or a few less life or get to start with an extra card. Mm -hmm. Combat in the adventure mode, you're facing off against leaders and you'll have some hero action options as well. The encounter specifies the henchmen that you're up against as well. Like it might say grab all the goblin type cards to create the, uh, the henchman deck. Simple stuff though. Combat, really similar to dual mode, uh, but now you're attacking the henchmen and the leaders instead of another player. Hero action cards let you make skill checks to do something special and thematic during your turn. So notably, you have more options in an encounter in the story mode. When a baddie gets to take their turn, leader goes first, followed by the henchman, usually getting a single action, uh, oftentimes attacking, but sometimes healing or buffing. It's unpredictable, and it's based on the roll of a d20. Now, I like this because when it's predetermined and this is a beef that I have with, like, uh, uh, say, more popular games like, say, a Gloomhaven. When it's predetermined, you kind of can math out your turn and look ahead and, like, really get lost in, in the analysis paralysis. Okay, I know that this is going to happen right. this way. Sometimes just chucking the D20, that chaotic feel, you know, that can create a more cinematic moment, right? Uh, sometimes you roll a number for a henchman. Get this. And the card states it like, they give you a dirty look. <laughs> <laughs> like they taught you. So it's like a freebie. It, it, it could have said like nothing happens. No, but they get some flavor in there. Uh, last thing here, they do incorporate uh, fate tokens, which is a means of mitigating bad rolls. So they did factor in that like, okay, we don't want someone to roll five times in a row real crappy. Let's put right. something in there. Uh, when you win, you get the reward from the adventure, uh, often a random card from the reward deck that you can incorporate into your character's deck for the next. So there's some customization. All in all, you know, pretty... Pretty decent time I've had. I've been doing it solo uh, in between the, uh, you saw I've been doing a lot of Frosthaven lately. It's a, uh, mm -hmm. that's, that's a, that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> that's a side <laughs> quest in and of itself. But uh, I did want to bring up Aventry because I've been actually having a really nice time with this. Well, and this is something here. I've been listening to you in one ear and with the other part of my brain, I've been looking at the pictures of it. Mm -hmm. Now, something with this here, it kind of gives me the feeling of not the earliest choose your own adventure books, but the ones later on, there was like the lone wolf adventure books where you actually had to roll the dice to see if you actually were able to pass a test or something and then turn to a certain page mm -hmm. and then do this and then do that. 
it really gives me the feeling of that. So right away, nostalgia feel is sucking me in on this game big time. So well, that- I'm I'm anxious to to check this one out here as well. But the thing I look at is seeing that it's 45 to 180 minutes. Now, does it seem like it's that long or does it get lagged down? Do you get like, oh, I'm just playing a card here. I just want to get done with this adventure or it does it keep it exciting for you. Honestly, the dual mode, I could see where it like depending on the roles, I could see where two people going head to head. It should take. I would guess 20, 25 minutes. I can see where much like magic, you know, some games are 10 minutes. Some games are half an hour. The adventure mode, I have what is in the base box to work with, right? I haven't done both of the small adventures. I did one of them, and that's where I started. Um, Now, granted, there was a bit of a learning curve for me, but I had that thing done in about 40 minutes, and then I did the big three-act, and and I think that's why they give you the range, is the other one is kind of like three-in-one, and that one took me close to an hour and a half to to finish. But you know what? There's not a whole lot of rules overhead. You know when I say, oh, I had to learn it through that? No, it's uh, it's pretty easy. You got a D20, you're up and running. Now, is this one that would stay in your collection, or is it going to be moved along here? I'm just wondering, getting an idea, like, where it lands on your uh, rating scale of how much you like this? That's a good question, and I don't have a good answer. I think a lot of it's going to come down to, I think I want to get like one or two of the newer expansions, as is that base box. It is simple. It's not a difficult game. And uh, one Mm -hmm. of the things that like Journeys in Middle Earth, uh, I didn't especially love. Now, granted, I didn't especially love it because I felt like there was a time crunch. But never mind the time crunch. It felt like skill check the game, right? Yeah, yeah. I think the difference here is that it's happening often enough that the probabilities work themselves. Scott, if you roll uh, uh, two dice, two D6s, a thousand times, right. what number is going to come up more often than any other number? Seven. Right. So probabilities. So that's you do them, the more likely it's going to happen. Now, some games, like for me with Journeys in Middle Earth, it's like, okay, so I'm doing this skill, or, or uh, what was the other? Alter Quest. Alter Quest did that too. Oh, yes. Uh, it was like, you know what? If I only have to do this like 10 times in a scenario or even 20 times in a scenario, that leaves a lot up to chance. Uh, never mm-hmm. mind whether or not you have a means of mitigating it. Whereas here, it happens enough that it's like, okay, probabilities, things are usually going to work themselves out. I think I want to try one of the newer sets or even mm-hmm. one of these expansions coming to Kickstarter to see how it's evolved. I have the the very earliest version of this game, the the square right. one, ground level. <laughs> I want to get on the third and fourth floor and see if it's changed and how it's changed <laughs> and what they've done with it. You know what? I could keep going, but let's we actually have some audio from the designers for the upcoming expansions that are going to be on Kickstarter here in a couple weeks. Oh wow. Okay, let's hear. Hello, friends. Hello, folks of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. And special thanks to Patrick and Scott for having me here on this episode. My name is Niels, and I am from Ulysses Spiele, right here for you. And I would like to tell you today, especially what we have in store for the new expansions for Aventuria. Yes, you have heard it correct. Aventuria is back on Kickstarter. And when it's back on Kickstarter, we do have some major news, some major expansions. 
let's jump right into what we have in store for you. And that's great. I'm pretty sure that's really great. If you're not familiar with Aventuria, please listen to what Scott and Patrick have to say about the game itself. But I will reveal today specifically just for you guys a little bit what we have in store for you. So we, as I mentioned, we do have two major expansions. One of these expansions have more than 600 cards in it. Yes, you have heard that right. More than 600 cards. This is the expansion Path of Legends. So Path of Legends basically brings you up to level up. Yes, really level up your character. So your hero when you play Aventuria, you usually have a hero, and in between the adventures, you are getting experience points, sometimes items, special items, unique items, etc. As you might know, we already have 17 heroes out there, and for all these 17 heroes, we now have level up cards. So think about that. So when you have a bow, for an elf, for an example, um, in level one, you can make just one shot and in level three, you can have two shots. Of course, it's a little bit more difficult, but I leave that to explore all on yourself. Beside this level up system that we have in Pass of Legends, we also have random encounters in between the adventures so that you can find unique equipment, unique stuff that you might to put in your hero and use them for future adventures. Uh, the second a major expansion that we have is Mythical Stories. Mythical Stories is all about stories, all about narrative um, role-playing, so to say. Um, what you are doing in this is you are getting uh, two adventure books, and these two adventure books have a total of eight adventures. One of them is specifically de designed to replay it again and again and again. It's a treasure hunt, so you can play it again and again and again. However, the major difference is in mythical stories, we don't have a similar line story. Now your decision matters. So let's say you're in a cave and it matters if you're going the right path or the left path because you can find different things. A little bit like choose your own adventure and that means there are really, really thick um, story adventure booklets in mythical stories. And last but not least, of course, we always have new heroes and we do have two new heroes for you in this campaign. One is the double mercenary and one is the blessed one of Boron. Whoever that is, you will figure that out. Thanks for listening. You will figure out what's in our new Kickstarter campaign. When it's online, feel free to discover it all by yourself or follow Patrick and Scott's words. And after you heard them, you can make your own decision. Thanks so much. And all the way, bye-bye from Germany. My name is Niels. See you next time. Bye. I might try one or two of those uh, and see what's going on. See if maybe like, you know what, if I back one of them and it's really awesome, then I'm going to start looking for the releases from 2017, 2018, yeah, <laughs> right down the rabbit hole. I might have to be looking hole. for a copy of myself here as well. <laughs>
Hey, King, you remember we talked about Factory 42? Yeah, you you seem to really like that one. Heck, yeah, I did. And we even got a level up promo card in their Kickstarter last year. <laughs> I, I remember uh, a bit of level up for the show getting that promo from Dragon Dawn. And you know they did Grey Eminence. And Michao as well. Uh, we've done a bit for them, actually. Well, now they're going to do a bit for our listeners. Did you manage to get another promo code? Oh, you bet, King. 10% off this one is using promo code LEVELUP on their website. Now, this is for anything on their site. Mm-hmm. White Hat, Grey Eminence, Factory 42, Beyond the Rift, everything. Even the giant Dungeon Crawler Perdition's Mouth Abyssal Rift. Everything is 10% off with promo code L-E-V-E-L-U-P. So, if I'm seeking a new adventure, where does I journey to use this mythical promo code spell? Two easy ways to do it. You can click on the logo for Dragon Dawn on our homepage at levelupgamepodcast.com or get on over to ddpgames.com and click shop. I, I Easily, I gotta tell you, one of my favorite things we're able to do with this show is find some ways to help adventurers save some money and score some loot. So get on with it, adventures. DDPGames.com. Click shop. Promo code L-E-V-E-L-U-P. Level up. Well, the other day, I actually got a package I was somewhat expecting, but I didn't expect it when I did. And I opened it up, and it was from WizKids. And I got an early copy of Damage Control. Now, those that are familiar with uh, the comics and everything, Damage Control is basically the group of people that goes around and cleans up after all the superhero battles. (laughs) That's a funny concept. These are the people you don't hear about. (laughs) So they go around and Spider-Man and Rhino, they have a big slobber knocker out in a parking lot. One of the parking lot garages falls in. All these cars are inside there. Any number of uh, different things of tech could be in there. Well, this is where this game comes in. So in this game here, you are pl- you have play a manager. It's a combination of a deck builder, an engine building game, and uh, almost kind of like uh, pickup sticks, if you will. Was so not expecting that. I know, I know. So you have a Kordanoth uh, square that you have. And depending on the number of players that you have, it can be small, medium, or large if it's two, three, or four players. Whenever you're playing, you decide on what groups of cards. So it could be Doctor Strange is fighting somebody and also, let's say, uh, Black Panther is fighting someone. Okay. So they have special groups uh, of tech and different things that would be associated with them you shuffle those in there with a bunch of other ones that are common uh uh artifacts that you'll find in marvel new york city that are in this building that have collapsed after a battle all right well what you're going to be doing you have a starting deck so you have uh, a manager you have some engineers and you have some construction workers now each one of them will allow you to do certain things A manager will give you special powers that may be able to uh, do something twice. Uh, The engineer is going to be able to flip over the face-down cards that are in front of you so you get a look and see what is under there. Mm -hmm. Now, on the back of the cards, there's a little radar symbol. So whenever I said that there is, it's similar to pickup sticks, 
if you can't see that whole radar symbol, well, you can't slide in and pull that out there. Just like in pickup sticks, you have to pick up the one that's on top and flip it over. So you flip it over, you get an idea of what's there. Then you may have the construction worker that's going to go in there and pick it up and put it into your hand. So you will go through and you'll play all the cards in your hand. So if you pick something up, it goes right in your hand and you can play it. Now, whenever you're playing, you will have special powers. There could be, it could be alien tech. It could be Wakanda tech. I mean, there's all sorts of things that could happen here. Now, of course, in New York City, in Marvel land, you got superheroes going all over the place. You have Spider-Man swinging through the skies. You have Iron Man over here doing this. Oh, there's Captain America over there. Well, you can call them in and give have them give you a hand at times. Wait, it's cleaning so up? Oh, yes, yes. Hey, hey, hey. Do you think Captain America is above cleaning up and helping out? I mean, don't Fair. you know the old thing about leaving milk and cookies out for Captain America on 4th of July? That's a good point. Yes. So they will go through there and they will help you clean up. So the game progresses until everything is cleaned up or all of the characters that you have there have been completely gone through and there's nothing left. What you'll go through then is you'll take a look and there are little numbers on there that give you uh, victory points at the end of the game. Okay. Take a look at that and whoever has the highest number of victory points will be the winner. I looked at it and I'm like, oh, this is kind of a uh, kitty. I don't know if I really like it. Then I set it up and I started playing it and by gosh, if there isn't a nice little engine building game in this thing here. You have that joy of the deck building game, but then you also have the fun of getting the Marvel heroes in there, playing along, giving you special abilities, all sorts of things that go together that I don't think have really put been put together in a nice, clean, easy format like this. And with the Marvel IP, the artwork is great. It's it's kind of comic bookish little cartoony yeah i like not, it I'm, I'm looking as you're talking it it looks like right out of a comic book yeah not overly cartoonish like the teen titans go or something no, like no. that it's it's nice clean artwork this is going to be a great in-between game in between two bigger games to play out there doesn't take long to set up and play i mean it says here 30 minutes you can play a game and this is ripe for additions uh, to this, expansions to this. Because you have Magic, you have Wakanda, you have Asgard, and you have... Uh, I can't remember what the uh, fourth <laughs> expansion is for it in this. But there's so many things where you could put in Spider-Foes, you could put in uh, Fantastic Four, you could put in X-Men. There's so many things you can put in here and have fun with this game. And I've said this before, it's been a while since I've said it, it's a nice palate cleanser of a game. Mm -hmm. Whenever you want to just get something, play it out. I, very similar to Wingspan. When you just want to play a game, have fun, have a conversation while you're playing, and not be so pounded in the head with making sure you get all the rules right and get this right. It's just something to have fun with. I'm anxious to get it out to you and get you uh, to play this game. Play it with two people, three people, and see how it stacks up once you get a little bit bigger then. You know what? I think you got a bit of an exclusive look at this one, Scott. This is uh, looks like it's only on Amazon right now. You can get it from WizKids website, like a pre-order. And it like mm -hmm. when you go right to Amazon for shop now, it says will ship at the beginning of May, uh, forty bucks. So it's down the pike a little bit. The only 
the only content I see is from Rado, which is like, you know, whoop, whoop-de-doo, yes. Rado gets everything early anyway. <laughs> it's Rado and you. You're, yes, uh, yes. You're in fine company. That it is. We got the <laughs> scoop on damage control. I almost feel like we should have more of a trumpet here this week because there's some stuff going down. Stuff now. is totally going down. Stuff Top 100. is going down. Let's do it. Debuts. Number 99, The Search for Planet X, cracks atop 100 falling stars. Dominion Intrigue is down three, and it's teetering on the edge. Top 10 trends, Brass Birmingham is the new number one game. Gloomhaven falls to two. The King is dead. Long left record scratch. Record scratch. That was quick. Well, that's fantastic. And it's gone. Uh, what? It's gone. It's all gone. That is unbelievable. Now then, well, I don't have the Birmingham one, but I got to get Lancashire out and play it again. You know why I did the record scratch and said that was quick? No. It has fallen back to number two, and Gloomhaven has overtaken it again. (laughs) It was like a day, Uh, and it's gone. (laughs) You remember what's... (laughs) Oh... Okay, so uh, we had Brass Birmingham very briefly supplant Gloomhaven as the number one game, and then within a day, it, it reverses. And you know what? You know what we have going on, Scott. We've got some infighting here. We've got some some mingling. We got some deflating the footballs uh, from both of these camps. If this was NASCAR, they'd be trading paint right now. Mm-hmm. So we got people in the brass camp, to, uh, you know, whining about the Gloomhaveners tanking the rating on their game and going and intentionally giving a one to get Gloomhaven back at the top. And then we've got the, the the Gloomhaven people saying, "No, you guys are coming over here and doing the same thing to us." And everybody's <laughs> calling each other fanboys. And if there's anything I've learned, <laughs> the the word fanboy is is completely ridiculous and stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently that's how you make someone feel like uh, uh, they're they're doing stupid things because they have, uh, we'll say, unfounded love for something. No, oh, you're just doing that because you're a fanboy. No. It's when other people like something and you don't like that they like it, you call them a fanboy. Yep, yep, yep. I'm a fanboy of beer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do we do? New highest peaks. These games are higher than they've ever been. The crew mission deep sea is at 36. Great Western Trail second edition at 45. On Mars 47. Pandemic Legacy season two at 53. Sleeping Gods up to 65. Didn't expect to see Grand Austria Hotel here, but it's actually higher than it's ever been at number 71. Cthulhu wow. Death May Die cracked the list a couple months ago. It's up to 85. A couple months ago as well, Obsession cracked the list and is at number 90. Decrypto, which has gone in and out and in and out, is at number 98. And Search for Planet X, number 99. It's just so volatile with how things are changing right Uh now, especially with number one and number two. Happy birthdays. We've got three. I feel like, you know what we're going to do? Hold on. Let let me start this over. I think we're going to, here, let me do this. We're gonna we're gonna do this from now, and I like this. This feels more festive. Spirit Island, yes. five years. Happy birthday! Shut up, five years. That's right. Wow. 
Troyes, as, as we on this side of the pond call it. It's Troyes, T-R-O-Y-E-S, 12 years, and Puerto Rico. All that talk about the number one game on BGG. Uh, Puerto Rico had it for the longest tenure, and it's been in the top 100 for 21 years. Well, happy birthday, Puerto Rico, and have a drink on us. Scott, it's your game. You're going to do the walkthrough this time for Lacrimosa. You ready? All set. This game was released in 2022 by Devere Games, designed by Gerard Asensi and Ferran Renalias. In Lacrimosa, you are a patron of Mozart, meeting with his wife Constance. Your goal is to bring to life Mozart's final work while putting your own flair on it as well to be remembered alongside this historic composer. How do you do this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Each player is given a music binder. Once open, you will see slots on top and the bottom for four cards each. There is also a tracker for your income, as well as story markers and requiem markers. You also get nine cards as not only your starting deck, but the size of your deck for the entire game. More on that soon. The game board is a lot to take in. You have a map of Austria in which you can travel to get bonuses to help you on your journey. The top portion has a section for cards to replace in your starting deck. These cards have a top and bottom as well as different themes. They're either opus cards or memory cards. The opus cards allow you to perform or sell the works you have on hand. The memory cards allow you to search down or create parts of the final piece. Finally, the bottom part shows the requiem, or the final piece of music that you're trying to complete. You have two composers vying for this honor, and you can choose who you want to work with. The game is split up into five ages. Each one has a bonus that you can strive for in order to get extra victory points at the end of the game. Each turn, you will draw four cards. In your music binder, you will insert a card at the top. These cards will allow you to perform an action. These actions are document memories. These cards will allow you to purchase new cards to replace in your starting deck. Commission an opus. This will allow you to purchase a piece of work that you can later perform to gain money or sell to gain more resources. Perform or sell music. This will allow you to work with the pieces you purchased that I just mentioned. Travel. You may travel through Austria gathering resources to help you on your journey, but you must make sure you have the resources to pay for the travel. Finally, Requiem. This allows you to employ a composer to work on a portion of Mozart's final work. Once you have completed four turns, your round, or age, will be complete. Gather up your cards, reset your story point trackers, and flip over the next age card, and prepare for the next age. It may seem like there's a lot in this game. That's because there is, but it flows a lot better than my words here. I'm sure that you're more interested in what we actually think of the overall game, so let's get back to Patrick and discuss our 8-bit breakdown of Lacrimosa. Sunday, live in concert, the Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart Tour visits your city. Be 
feel the electricity of the music coursing through your veins. Your mind will be blown when you hear hits such as Piano Concerto Number 21 in C Minor, Sequentia, and the face-melting riffs of Serenade Number 13 in G Minor. Miss this show and you totally suck. Explosions, pyro, electricity, and of course, booze. Presented by Monster Energy Drink, Fire, and the good folks at Devere Games. Well, Scott, thank you so much for the walkthrough of today's review game, Lacrimosa. Uh, Lacrimosa. 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 <laughs> it's Lacrimosa, not Lacrimosa. <laughs> Isn't that what you have early in the morning whenever you have a hangover? No, 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 I'm sorry. That's a mimosa. Adventures. Uh, we do the 8-bit breakdown, starting with the art and components, going through eight different bits, little facets of this game, concluding with was it fun and who's it for? We're going to start with art and components. Explorer Josh was wrong. Scott, having seen this thing in the flesh, in, in the cardboard, in the flesh, on the table, mm-hmm. I saw its cardboard and I touched it with my finger pads. It's got a classic feel. You know what I like is that creams and reds and blacks and whites. I think it's a nice color palette. Love that player board yes. with the slotting into the cards. That was sweet. Iconography wasn't too overwhelming uh, either. I thought everything, uh, the iconography helped facilitate gameplay, but I want to give you the floor. Tell us about the art and components. Well, I think this is a beautiful game. The board is done up with a great map of Austria. The bottom of the board is a music staff with different instruments that are going to be playing. The inlaid player boards have spots for everything. Mm -hmm. And I love the way that the cards slide into them. It's not they're just going to slide, sit there, and whenever you bump it, they're going to fall. No, they slide into it. So that's a wonderful, wonderful little detail that they put into that. The top of the board shows the action, while the bottom shows you your storyline resources to help you complete your journey. Mm-hmm. My biggest complaint, though. Oh, when you say biggest, the, is, is this a minor complaint or is this this is an actual big complaint? This, I think, is actually probably a big complaint because I think this is something that they should have definitely looked into. Hold on. Let me have a sip and lean in. <clears throat> what you got? All right, so my biggest complaint is the lack of an organizer inside. Oh, uh, that's one of those. Once you punched everything out and labeled my bags with components, and then you just throw them in the box. Like sure, Lost Ruins of Arnak. Yeah, you need to lay them in a certain way to make sure that you get the top down completely. But I've seen other games with less components with an enormous, elaborate organizer inside. Something to put in there to keep the cards in place and put everything in its place would have really just, uh, sorry, chef's kiss perfectly added on to this thing here. Fair enough. Fair enough. So lack of an organizer kind of bugs you for this one. Yeah. This is one that there are so many different cards for the ages and the starting decks for the players and for the opus cards and the memory cards. And then... The uh, little tiles the for Austria. The, oh, yeah. The composers. Yeah, now, granted, I know that they went overboard with the artwork, and a lot of money probably went into that, and there wasn't a lot in their budget to do this. Completely understand. 
But I'm just saying if I had to come up with a complaint, that would be my complaint. Fair enough. Fair enough. Any complaints about theme and immersion? This is where you feel the theme of the music. Uh, you're probably not going to escape into the world of a, uh, a Mozart posthumous composition. Scott, this is a mechanism forward game, isn't it? Oh, 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 very, very much so. Um, yeah, it's one that you are basically looking at what you're going to do, not really thinking of Tom Hulse uh, playing Mozart and performing his work. And sorry, I'm going into Amadeus right now. But yeah, I, I feel the theme is there, but it really is, like you said, it's more set with the mechanics. You are busy trying to figure out what you want to do to make the points to win the game, not really the finer points of getting the right composer to do the right things for you. Very immersive in the mechanisms. You're absolutely right. Another way that I was kind of looking at it, like how we describe this, you're not going to have a cinematic moment here. When the no, game's no. over, you're not going to be able to tell the story of what you did uh, in the game. It, it's, it's a mechanism game, but something like Arnak? you can kind of say what happened in your mm -hmm. play. Whereas this, it, well, I went here and I guess I learned a part of an opus. It, it's very abstracted. Oftentimes these Euro games lack thematic immersion, but it's still immersive in that your brain is challenged through the whole thing. And props yes. to Lacrimosa because uh, it kept me captivated for that. Now, looking at our next bit, the complexity. Mm -hmm. Was it tough or what easy? Where did you find it on the, the scale of things? I would put it around upper medium weight. It's it's not heavy. It's not a heavy weight game. Uh, but it has more moving parts and more levers to pull than a game that I would say is medium, right? It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's still in medium, but it's on the heavier side of it. Scott, it starts with having the multi-use cards. Right, you got two yes. options on every card. Uh, then you've got composers at the bottom of the board that you can add to your player board, adding a benefit of some sort. You've got to play cards for income each round, so you've got to be mindful of what you're setting up for next turn and next round. Uh, you get to travel the map for the bonuses, visiting uh, various locations, and there, there's two types of cards you could purchase to top it all off. And maybe most importantly are those opus cards, which can be pivotal in creating an engine. Mm -hmm. How you can uh, uh, create a what, copyright, trademark, infringed, tap them, activate them, <laughs> right? There's a lot of things going on. That's a lot to take in. None of it's hard. None of it's hard to learn. Uh, we say this often, you know, oh, it's not hard to learn, but doing it well is what's hard. Well, yeah, and that's what puts it in the upper side of a mid-weight game, a, a mid-upper. What did you think? Whenever you look at it, yes, it looks like a complex game. You are going to be just overwhelmed with the amount of symbols, the amount of different things on the, on the board, on your player board, all these things. But once you get down to it, it's not that complex. Mm -hmm. Once you get the idea of what the symbols stand for, you're pretty much good to go. I mean, you know enough to be dangerous. Now, in order, to, now the order in which you perform those turns, that's the whole thing. Like you had said, like so many other games, the complexity comes from the order in which you perform your turns and not really in the way the mechanics of how the game plays out. So it's really getting used to what is the most advantageous for you to do at that moment in time. Fair, fair points. Fair points. Rulebook learning curve. Rulebook's on you, Scott. All right. So the rulebook, they have everything covered. 
and you can get a little scared whenever you open this box, whenever there are five rule books. Wait. But this <laughs> is because, <laughs> oh, yeah. But it's just because they have the rule book in different languages. The rule book is laid out well. There are so many tiles and different names for things. This is one that you definitely want to lay out on your table. Take a look at, like, here's what's in the box. Put them out in their places and say, okay, that is a memory card. That is an opus card. That is a story track. It's important to get the legend marked out as to what is what in this box. I was so excited that I tried to jump in. Yeah, that was a mistake. Uh, fortune does not favor the brave here, but favors the prepared. Mm -hmm. So definitely prepare for this game here. Now, what did you think of my uh, ineptitude of trying to teach this game? It was awful. Oh, my God. I'm so <laughs> jealous that you get to learn games from me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I agree. No, you did. You did a great job, and, uh, and frankly, it's a complicated enough game. There's a lot, as we said. There's a lot going on. It took me a round or two, and I don't mean like a turn or two. I mean a full round or two to start connecting dots. There are enough symbols to get used to, along with cards in hand, plus uh, what you want to acquire. You're definitely going to need that learning game because, man, halfway through, I saw where I would want to do things differently and adjusted in sub subsequent plays. Uh, first game, this is a, one where you're going to want to treat it like a learning game, but then you're going to have it down. It's it's learning the simple language of the game. What do these symbols mean? Once you have it down, then you can go and explore the strategies. Mm -hmm. Bit number five, we talk about the meat of a board game. Every game's got some meat. That's that part that has you coming back. Jones to play more, thinking about it when it's not on your table anymore. Let's talk about the meat in Lacrimosa. Well, the meat of the game for me comes from the decisions that you make with your nine card deck. Mm -hmm. Yes, you have a nine card deck. That is it. Now you are going to be taking cards out and replacing them, but are you going to use the top portion to form your actions, the travel, performances, purchasing, composing, or are you going to use the bottom in order to get the resources to do something on the next round that's really important and game-changing in, in the next round? And you know they strategically, like the cards that travel that want you to have a certain resource, the travel icon's on the top and the resources on the bottom. So you can't be like, I'll use this card to travel next round and I'll mm -hmm. use this one for the resource. Like they make you budget them. Oh, very, very much so. And that's that's the big thing there that I liked with it because it really made you take and look at what you had and what was going to be the most, uh, the best move for you to take. Is it going to be the top or do you want to save it and use it for the bottom for the resources? So it really gives you a tough decision to make, but it's nice because you feel good that either way, either one that you're going to take, it is going to be a good move, though. Right, right. What did you think was the meat of the game? Forward planning. Uh, that's how I can mm. sum it up. And it's all because yeah. of the playing the cards at the top and at the bottom of that action board. Uh, that's going to dictate a lot of things that are going to happen later on, uh, not just in, in well, in, in subsequent rounds because of the income that you get from the bottom. Um, so, like, I might want to activate Opus cards. Uh, but it makes sense to get another one before doing so. In order to do that, I might need a few more resources, which has me landing on what I'm going to play right now. 
uh, maybe mm-hmm. a travel card to get to lo- to uh, the location that's going to let me acquire the resources that I need to get the Opus card on the next turn, etc. Et right? Most of the media accomplishments that you can make in a round require that you think ahead. Uh, you could just play in the moment, right? Kind of like uh, in the NFL draft, how some teams just take the best player available, regardless of their team weaknesses, yep. right? Uh, you could do that, and I'm sure some games are going to do just fine. But I'm guessing more often than not in Lacrimosa, you really do have to think, okay, what do I want to do two or three turns from now? What does that yes. mean that I have to do next turn? Okay, so what does that mean I have to do right now? That's kind of how you how you have to – what is that, like reverse engineering or – it's forward yes. planning. Mm-hmm. What, whatever they call it, it's going on in here. Yeah, looking at basically where you want to go, looking at where you are and what is going to be the most advantageous way for you to get from point A to point B. Let's talk replayability and variability bit number six. We've certainly got a whole bunch of variables here. But you know what? None of them really warp the game entirely. Uh, I, I think each variable does just enough to change the tactical play of the game that it's going to be plenty replayable. The locations are going to be switched up a little bit every game. The order of the cards available for purchases and thus their costs are going to change. That alone, in a game like this, that alone is probably enough of a variable to keep you coming back. But then you have the composers at the bottom. Which ones are you going to use, right? Uh, all these little alterations, these give me reason to think that it's not going to collect dust on the shelf. And I've been thinking about it since we had our chances to play it. Uh, that's usually a good sign, too. What do you got, Scott? <laughs> Replayability, variability on Lacrimosa. Well, a lot of things are probably very similar to what you just said. Each round is a different age. Now then, whenever you're selecting the five ages... There are three different ages you can select for each one of them. So right there are 15 cards you're selecting from to come up with a different variable playing that. You can change the deck entirely. Yes. Wow. Also, when selecting the works to be completed, there will be different instruments left out of each time that you play that. There are eight different cards that will change things up with that. Mm -hmm. Finally, there are four different composers, and you only use two. So there's two that aren't going to be used that you can mix and match with them. And whenever you're doing that to compose the music at the bottom of of the board. And this leads to more paths that you can go along with. My biggest thing here with the replayability, I think this is really depends mostly upon whether or not this game scratches your itch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's an odd theme. I will be the first one to say, whenever you say there's a game I'm going to play where you're trying to compose Mozart's last piece of work with different composers while traveling through Austria. Hmm. I don't know how. Actually, that I got to really- go do some dishes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's not going to be one of those ones that agrees with everyone's uh, likes or dislikes. So me, I'm looking forward to playing this quite a few times uh, from now on. Will it be an evergreen? I don't know for sure, but this is one that definitely I'm going to keep for a while because I do really like the theme of this game and like what it presents and the experience I get from playing this game. Well, it's one that you were championing whenever we did our side quest a few weeks ago about some of our favorite games in 2022. So I'm guessing you'll be quick on this one. Bit number seven, we look at the downsides of a game. So what do you think, Scott? Downsides in Lacrimosa. 
Well, aside from the organizing tray and not being a thing, um, I think that a lot of it is the luck aspect of what cards you get to play with sometimes can be a little frustrating. Uh, luck is something that happens in a lot of games, but there are times you feel like you're just giving up whenever the luck is not with you. So this is one that can be kind of brutal if you don't get the cards that you need when you, when you need them. Even though you do have a nine card deck, that means that your decision making is that much tighter whenever you need to make those really big decisions. So that would probably be the biggest thing that I think is a downside. For the ordering me. of those cards not working out for yes. you. And you know what? I think that's profound because I was going to say, I didn't find this a, a luck heavy game at all. However, what you're saying makes sense. Um, if, if you have doubles uh, and another doubles in that opener, you're going to be mm-hmm. much more limited in what you're able to do. And it is a game where you don't want to misfire early. And I think a lot of that is because of what I'll say is my downside. And it's actually something that I kind of liked in the game is all that forward planning. You need yeah. to, you need to make sure that you're doing things right now so that things pay off later. That's a lot of work. You know what I mean? I think some people are mm-hmm. going to like your, your casuals or, or non gamers, even somebody who like, eh, they make it to a, a game day every now and then, you know, they, they'll play coup with us. They'll play ticket to ride with us. They have fun with it. This might just be work for them. Um, Yeah, yeah. Consider your first turn. You've got multiple options that you can play to that top slot, each with their own implication, and each uh, potentially a a decision leaving you with – each of them is a decision that's going to give you a smaller amount of options on the following turn, okay? Um, That's a lot. That's a lot to take in, and it's one that you could mull over for a good while, right? So uh, not only could be a little too difficult for a non-gamer, but also maybe AP prone a little bit. Uh, like mm. if you have that one guy in your group that takes a little bit longer for all their turns, thinking out every strategic decision, yeah. they might slow this game down a little too much for the rest of the group. Yeah, I think whenever we talked about obsession, I'd said that there's usually like one or two moves you want to do the first thing whenever you start playing that game to get money, get the extra servants to help you out, different things like that. There are a couple moves that you want to make first thing whenever you play that. Whenever you're playing this, that is gone. You have, I mean, as far as the eye can see, those are the decisions that you have. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that can, that will hold your hand, dipping your toe into the pool to jump in. It's just like, hey, here's a pool. And they push you really hard from the back and just throw you in. Well, Scott, I think we know where you're going to land based on our 2022 Best Games episode. Let's talk, was it fun and who's it for? I'll take the lead because I, too, think this is a fun game. I, I You know what? I think I like games that have you starting off doing a relatively small amount of things and have you ramping up to the point where you're able to do a lot in one round of play. Um, having to plan out actions to get big payoffs in a game is a feature that I like. And Lacrimosa, uh, it offers a lot of ways to do just that. Uh, honestly, Scott, I wish I had the copy between us. Uh, but <laughs> hey, you have it. So I'm sure uh, plenty of opportunity will be there to play. Who's mm-hmm. it for? Dude, this is a Euro through and through. Batoku, Praga, Carnegie. It's a thinker. Uh, you're not going to have a thematic romp. No stories nor cinematic moments <laughs> will be created. Uh, and you know what? That's okay. That is okay. This is a rewarding Euro game with a unique theme. I like that it's different. And I hope that it keeps coming back to the table. Scott, was it fun? Who's it for? 
Yes. Very good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> now, yes, it was fun. Now, this was even my top game I was looking forward to at PAX Unplugged last mm-hmm. year. Did it live up to my most anticipated for PAX Unplugged? Maybe not completely, but it comes pretty damn close. Having a music background, I really enjoyed the subject matter of this of this game. That's why I think this could be a game that would be taken in by music students, especially college age, because one, they're going to be playing the game. Two, it's going to open up a lot of conversations about music theory and things like that, things that they like to talk about. And I think that is something that I I don't know if I've ever really run into a game that delves into it this way. And I think that it's a great thing to do it. It can create not only the competition to win the game, and like I said, the conversations that could come out afterwards would be priceless. I think that's something there that's very important with this game in that it's not only going to give you the game experience, but then also the conversation after the game. Yeah, there's something to be said about having a unique theme like this. Uh, you know, I I, I kind of poke fun like, oh, no stories will be told. But uh, Scott, I was I was looking on the Geek earlier today, and somebody was they were not coincidentally uh, they were harping on Wingspan a little bit, and their point was, wouldn't it be cooler if it was dragons? Like, I don't get excited to flip over. Uh, I don't know a. Uh, Franklin's gall, you know, how cool would it be if that was this big honking dragon? Um, no, it wouldn't. I, uh, sure, sure, it would. I, I get that. But like, we have enough games about dragons. Yes. We have enough games about uh, the Industrial Revolution. We have enough World War II. You know what I mean? Like, mm. it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool having games that are are going into really different, really unique themes. And this is one of them. Yeah, and I think that was one of those things that really drew me to this game. I don't know when I've ever heard a game like this with the theme of this. You look at the cover of it, and you have the conductor on there just looking so angry. And it's kind of frightening whenever they have, like, all this blood red underneath there. And you're like, okay, what's this? Are are we killing people? Well, no, um, you're actually just trying to complete uh, Mozart's work. But there's not more? No, there doesn't need to be more. It's just perfect the way it is. I wish there were Vikings in it. (laughs) After a half a year of daylight, we must now prepare for the dark season. The roads will be treacherous but they will still need to be braved by a select few in order to keep our cities thriving. In Merchants of the Dark Road, you are one of these brave few merchants that travel the dangerous paths between cities. While the job is perilous, fame and fortune await. One year ago, we had the opportunity to look at Merchants of the Dark Road, and that was one that we picked up while at PAX. You and I, we we sat down, we played it, we demoed it, 
And I was like, okay, I am buying this. They had a, a little sale on it. I picked up the patron's provisions. I mistakenly did not get those metal coins. But Teacher Ryan, sweetheart that he is, <laughs> Teacher Ryan hooked me up. He got me the metal coins and uh, actually had it back on the table just like a month and a half ago. I had the lobsters over and uh, taught them how to play. Those coins were clinking and all those rondels were rondelling. Uh, I like this one. Taking on the Speaking of themes that are a little bit different, taking on the role of the merchants. You're not the hero. You're not the wizards. You're not the adventurers. You're kind of the taxi and the salesman. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Having it back on the table, uh, it reminded me that this is a game I like. Other podcasts that you and I both listen to, it's a kind of a divisive game. I know like for the Cabal, for example, there's uh, half of them say it's great. Half of them say it sucks. I fall in the great camp. I really like Merchants of the Dark Road. I don't think there's anyone that just likes it. You either really like it or you really dislike it. Sure. It's it's one of those type of uh, games there. This is one that I really do enjoy. And also, it's one that you really get a sense of accomplishment whenever you play this. Because that whole dice mechanism on there is really kind of confusing. Whenever you're picking a die and moving one up and picking a die and moving one up... The first couple turns, you're like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> but then whenever you get it, it's just like, bing. All right, let's go to the races and get going. And then that's whenever the enjoyment of this game really kicks in. And you feel proud of yourself for doing this. Yeah. And you get into it. And I still kind of get a theme of it. Whenever you're getting like the number of lanterns to go down the dark road and whenever you're going to the different towns, oh, to the drop companions, off. you can get like the bee, yes. you can get the wolf. All the steeds have their own names. One of them's like this big bear thing. Mm -hmm. And it's it really does a great job of being thematic and making you enjoy what it is. You never you feel like a medieval UPS driver. <laughs> Scott, I want to address one of the complaints that I hear about this game, and that's the size of the item. So you can get that loot that uh, that it's like mm -hmm. a violent, like the medieval instrument. The loot, yes, it's big, right? You're putting things onto the grid, and the loot is much bigger than, say, the the pistol, right? And I'm listening to other reviewers, and they're like, "Well, it doesn't make sense. The loot isn't worth anymore. It's not worth any more value." And I'm like, dumb, dumb, no kidding. That means that the pistol is inherently more valuable because it takes up less space. They don't have to have different point that like not everything has to equal out to be the exact same proportion of points based on its size. Inherently, the pistol is better because it's smaller. The little bag of magic potion is better because it's smaller. And when you're over there looking to buy items and all oh, the loots are super cheap. Right, remember the market rondelle. Hey, I can get loot really oh, cheap yeah. right now. Well, yeah, you can, but they're really big, so that's a decision to weigh. Maybe you pay and rotate that wheel and get something slightly smaller for a slightly. I can't, for the life of me, understand what's so difficult to understand there. <laughs> On the other hand, what I can understand is difficult, and the most unintuitive part of this game. My my number one complaint, and it is a big one. You can go the dark road. And other people can come along with you. You're going to roll those dice. You're going to place them on that card. And since you're the leader of the caravan, you get the first die. You get to pull it off that card first. You get first pick. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. No problem. On the other hand, if you spend three lanterns to take the shortcut, you roll those dice and you, the leader of the caravan, gets last pick of the dice. 
Yeah, All the tag along yeah. people. Like, wait a minute. I spent the three lanterns. I should get first pick. That's one that I think <laughs> I might try and house rule that going forward. Um, you know, I should I should message Elf Creek and be like, what what the hell, man? It bothers well, me, it- Scott. Yeah, and that's something there that we did get the game, and I know we always make it a a, a note to stop by and see them at any con we go to. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I, I think that is a good idea there, to just stop by there. And, hey, who knows? It could be an expansion that's coming out here soon that they'll let us know ahead of time, and we might get a chance to get it out there and let everyone know what's going to be happening with it. Scott, is this a game that you would recommend to someone? If they are a heavy gamer, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really did enjoy playing this game. If they are a casual gamer, no. Because a lot of the things that people don't like about this game would only be compounded with the learning curve of a casual gamer trying to wrap their head around all the things that go in the A lot of symbols. Game. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that would just compound with it and make it a really rotten experience for them. And they turn them off from playing games again for quite some time. So heavy gamer, yes. Casual gamer, no. Yeah, de- definitely a lot of uh, symbols in the game. Oh, Scott, uh, did I tell you I'm, gonna de- I'm designing a board game about uh, drum kits? Oh, really? Yeah, but right now I'm having a problem. I got too many symbols in the game. One year later, this is the kind of game that I would say I can, uh, I would, okay, this is easy to say that like, oh, I would prefer to show someone before they buy it how to play. I'm kind of with you. It, it is a unique game. It's a unique theme. There are a lot of symbols in the game. There's a, a, a lot to soak in and mm-hmm. it is so divisive a game, uh, you know, whether people love it or hate it, I'd really love to be able to like, oh, you want to buy that? Here, let me show you how to play. Let's do a, a two round demo. Because then they're either going to love it or hate it. It's it's hard to, yeah. to convey that. Uh, maybe my best recommendation for an adventure listening would be, you know what? If you see this on the table, give it a play. You know, one of your buddies yeah. has this request. Hey, man, can we give that? Let's give that one a whirl. I'm going to give that one a try. You might really like it. Definitely give it a try. Welcome to another edition of Thunderdome. <laughs> Oh, Scott, it's that time. It's back to Thunderdome. Thunderdome. <laughs> Plundering. We'll sell you the whole seat, but you only need the edge. <laughs> Scott, this one comes from Jimmy, and it was in our BGG forums uh, in the guild. If you're not part of the guild, guild 3722, that's the level up guild. We'll give you a Wilford badge just for joining. And I think moving forward, any of our giveaways, we're just going to do it through the guild. So if you're not a guild member, you can't win stuff from us. Jimmy hit us with a big one, Scott. This is gonna. Uh, this one's gonna hit you in the field. So you ready? Oh yeah! All right, let's go. Let's go. Two games enter. One All game right. leaves. All one right. you get to play anytime you want, and there's always just the right amount of people just rearing to go. The All other right. one, All right. you can play no more. You can even okay. look. You're allowed to look at pictures of it to make your longing, your yearning, that much more. But you can play no more. Oh, okay, okay. Dune Imperium. All right. Versus Clank. 
Two games enter, one game leaves. And I think we both get to do this one. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. So uh, do you you want to go first? Well, this does not make for good radio whatsoever or good podcasting. But for Patrick, I will show you something (laughs) that I have in my hand. I saw. I saw your Facebook post. I'm holding in my hand from uh, Teacher Ryan the plastic dreadnoughts from Dune Imperium. Those are the ships in the Rise of X expansion, right? That they are. So I think it would pretty much give you a good idea that if I'm just here mindlessly playing with the dreadnoughts from Dune Imperium, that Clank would be going on that pile of games that I would never play again. Oh my God. Dune Imperium over Clank. Scott, that's wild. You know what we have going for us here? They they both have deck building. Clank is more of deck builder with a board that you're moving around. Right. Where Dune Imperium is more deck builder worker placement, right? Well, yes. If yes. there's one thing that we can fall back on here and be like, okay, that wasn't so tough on me, is that they are two similar but two different games, right? Mm-hmm. Two different feels. This is hard because Clank is one of my all-time favorites. Oh, I know. I know it is. I think I'm going to go with Dune Imperium, though, because I haven't explored it as much as Clank. Like, I feel like most of Clank I've already gotten out of my system. I played, I've done Mm -hmm. Catacombs a few times now, and I'm ready to move on from it. I've already listed it, and it's sold because I've been there, done that. Dune, Dune just got that. (laughs) You just picked up that expansion. What was the, the, the second expansion you got at PAX? Immortality. I haven't even touched Immortality yet. We got to do that maybe well, Thursday the at the shop. Is, the thing is that now then that Ryan sent me these, I feel like I got to get the big box now to just encompass everything. Absolutely. In one big box. Oh, that's, uh, you know what? It's never easy to turn your back on a game that you love as dearly as Clank. But hey, that's Thunderdome, baby. Two games enter. One game leaves. Yeah, I I feel this was a shot across the bow for you from Jimmy because for my money, Dune Imperium all the way. All right, Scott, a bit of a quicker episode today. We've that dude, that means we have got to cram stuff in next episode. We've got so many things that we're backed up on. We've got I've got like a stack of six games that were sent to us that we need to get to. Like we might have to do a side quest called Catching the Hell Up because we're falling behind (laughs) and we're having a blast doing it. Yes. Yes, we are. And I mean, hey, I never thought we would ever be like this whenever we first started out there trying to find games to play. And now that we have just such a vast number to play and talk about it in the best part about it is sharing those gameplays with a lot of people. And that's what makes this whole thing so very special. So as we do every episode, episode 87 is going to end with us talking how we leveled up, be it in board gaming or in life. Something to keep tabs on ourselves and make sure that we're not getting lazy. Scott, what's your level Mm. up? Well, for mine, I actually just came back on Thursday Because Tuesday, I got a call from my mother-in-law, and she's like, uh, what you doing? Can you help us out for three days instead of just one? And I'm like, uh, sure, I guess I can. And in doing that, I got a chance to help out 
with the Special Olympics of Pennsylvania with their Winter Special Olympics games at Seven Springs. Oh, sweet. And the crazy thing about it was it was almost 70 degrees on Wednesday, (laughs) gorgeous outside, and they're out skiing. Did they have the fake snow up and everything? Like, it was was conducive to winter sports? There was snow. Uh, There was mud. But uh, they made the best of it. It is unseasonably warm this year. Yeah. Oh, my God. I tell you what. Those kids, those athletes were absolutely amazing. They were so much fun. They were so joyful. And the great thing about it was that this was something here that if they won gold in this, this would put them in the running to possibly go and represent us in Turin, Italy in 2024, I think it is, for the Winter Special Olympics there. Oh, they did such an incredible job, met so many wonderful people. It was truly a heart-building experience there. It was wonderful. So that was volunteering at the Winter Special Olympics. Boy, that's tremendous. Well done, Scott. Yep. So how did you level up this time? I'm keeping it simple and board game related. Uh, Catan. Catan on Board Game Arena, which sounds really dumb, right? <laughs> Taking a back 90s style. <laughs> now, um, you know, I tell stories about like recapturing the magic of, you know, BSing with my brothers up in that apartment 20 years ago and, yeah. you know, just throwing down a game. So I told them, like, look, guys, they have voice chat on Board Game Arena. They have Catan. I'm premium. It's free for you guys. I'll set up the game. Just join. <laughs> it's going to be sloppy in the first game. We're going to have to click things and not know what we're clicking. Just just do it. The, the magic was recaptured. It oh, was so wonderful. recaptured. There were so many terrible things said to each other. Not in the chat, because BGA is like, is this person threatening you? And I was oh, like, guys, yes. don't say too many swear words or you could get banned. So a lot of it was done over the phone. And I think there was collusion. I think there was text messaging going on from one house to the other, uh, <laughs> which is a whole new dynamic. And, uh, you know, the, the shit talking since that game uh, has continued. And we're, we're going again tonight. A four-player game. Oh. So uh, it's been... The talking of poo has continued all day today uh, about what's going to happen when a seven gets rolled and where it's going to go. Love it. And that's one of the great things about gaming, just those memories and all the fun that goes along with it. Adventurers, last week's episode was a side quest for a game called Kyperium. That's Ryan and I holding down the show, but we got joined by Steve and by Matt, and they told us all about this fantastic game. It is live on Kickstarter right now. I highly, highly recommend you check out Kyperium. Also, Scott, you and I got a date March 25th from 12 to 8 for our meetup. It's going to be in Robinson, which is uh, just northwest of Pittsburgh at the Four Horsemen. March 25th. Don't miss it. It's just going to be a really great, great time. How about the last word, Scott? Peace out, yo. (laughs) Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, always do what you can to level up.